It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. You probably know my next guest, dear listener, from his incredibly popular YouTube channel, Epic Gardening. Kevin Espiritu started with a home hydroponic system, and like many garden nerds, he dove headfirst into learning and sharing as much gardening information as possible. Now, in addition to having more than a million subscribers on YouTube, he's got a book called Grow Bag Gardening, a revolutionary way to grow bountiful vegetables, herbs, fruits, and flowers in lightweight, eco-friendly fabric pots. That is a mouthful. <laughs> Thanks for chatting with me, Kevin. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Christy. I appreciate it. Sure. I have to admit, I am completely envious of your following on YouTube because I also have a YouTube channel, but it mm -hmm. is nowhere near. <laughs> I subscribe. I'm a subscriber. <laughs> well, it's great because I, I found your information really helpful on growing dragon fruit because that's what I, where I started, uh, mm. where I was looking for more information on a particular step in the process that no one else was talking about, but you had that missing info. So that was really cool. Was it, let me guess. And was it the, how to force the flowers? No, it wasn't. It was really just the very basic beginning about, you know, do you cut it? How much do you cut off mm. and where, you know, cause some I've done both where I've stuck, We've already derailed. I see. <laughs> like, we're we're going to get to the interview. Gardner, we will. We I will. Promise. But, uh, you know, I've done both where you just stick the cutting straight in the ground or where yeah. you cut about two or three inches off and then let it cure. Yep. And so, but nobody was talking about whether you should do that or not. So your yeah. video was really helpful. Yeah. I found that honestly, either works uh, as long as you let it cure. And so if you're lazy or you have a ton to do, then you just probably don't make the cut, right? right? And don't let it cure, but otherwise you can speed it up slightly by doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you crank out so much content on your YouTube channel. It's no wonder you're so popular, but for those who are living under a rock and haven't yet discovered Epic Gardening, can you tell us a little bit about that endeavor? Uh, yeah, sure. So like you said, I, I started out uh, in a hydroponic system at home, maybe growing 10 years ago, but Epic Gardening full-time has been maybe, will come up on five years, I guess, this summer. But yeah, I mean, it really started out just as a way to chronicle what I was doing in, in hydroponics. So it wasn't even called Epic Gardening at the time. It was called Exponics, which I got to say, this much worse name <laughs> than, than I have now. Not as um, catchy. <laughs> I've learned a little branding now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it really was just a journal. And then as the blog grew, I added the YouTube channel and I'm always trying to reach uh, different segments of, of people who might want to grow. And so we've gotten on TikTok, we've gotten on, you know, the podcast and, and, and all these different things. And so it's all under one roof, but the whole idea is just to teach people, um, how to grow, how to grow food as, as easily as possible. Yeah. And I know your goal is to reach 10 million people. How, how far along are you on that? We actually upped it. Um, we upped it to a hundred million now. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always just like, uh, these types of goals, I feel like they're always like, a a guiding light and not really a real thing to celebrate over. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and how do you measure that? Right. There's not a really good way to measure it. Uh, but if, I guess if you go by like views or something, then we should be shooting for a hundred million and not, and not 10 now. That's so great. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. I mean, we cast a pretty wide net here at garden nerds. So we're trying to reach as many people as possible mm -hmm. who need to know, because this is what we do. We provide the information that people mm -hmm. need to know. So you are in San Diego or in the San Diego County area. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, another sunny Southern California spot. Since this is an audio platform, can you describe your garden for listeners so they can 
get a sense of where you are and how much space you have to work with. Yeah. So I'll, I'll zoom back just a little bit because I've only been in this space for about, uh, six months, five ah, months now. Okay. So I, I used to grow in a, uh, small urban front yard in San Diego, California, pretty close to downtown. And so a lot of foot traffic, a lot of cars, you know, like you wouldn't think of putting a garden there and it was about 15 by 30 square feet. Uh, and so I crammed in uh, 14 raised beds, I think in that space. Uh, nice. and then obviously different containers and stuff it wasn't really the most optimal layout, but cause I was maximizing the square footage of grow space and not necessarily how easy it was to move in there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's what I was growing in. But, uh, this past year in, in 2020, I purchased a home here in San Diego. And so I grabbed, I don't know how I found this place, honestly, but it came up, I went down and I was like, no matter what, I'm going to try to get this place because <laughs> it's a small house which I didn't, I almost didn't look at the house at all when I thought about it. Um, but I saw the land and the land's about 13,000 square foot lot <gasps> oh of my just God. <laughs> empty, flat. It's like completely flat, completely empty. And I was like, oh, this is, the house is a hundred years old, but somehow no one did anything to this land over a hundred years. It's just sitting there. And so I was like, okay, well, let's go, let's, let's do something here. Uh, and so that's what I'm growing in now. Uh, and so I've got in-ground plantings. I've got raised beds. I've got containers, of course, grow bags, still trying to, to show as many ways as possible because not everyone now, of course, has 13,000 square feet. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at now. Nice. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I mean, I have a pretty big lot for, for Los Angeles. It's, it's about 6,700 square feet, but, Oh, that's good. Though. And it's that's a tiny, it's a tiny house. So we, but I did what you probably did, which was who cares about the house. You just like cut through to the backyard and look at how much land you have to work yeah. with when you're shopping yeah. for a home. <laughs> yeah. I, did, I barely yeah. cared at all. I mean, it, I, it was a flipped home. So I'm, I'm learning that maybe I should have cared a little bit uh-huh. uh, what was going on inside <laughs> the house, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, more than happy to have the outdoor growing space. Nice. All right. Well, let's talk about this book, Grow Bag Gardening. How did mm-hmm. it come about for you? Well, so like I was saying, in that old space, I was growing in all sorts of different things, raised beds and containers, but the grow bags were particularly nice because they're easy to move. And like, let's say you're growing potatoes, you, you can wait quite a bit and they don't even need light for a while. So just move them out into the garden when, when you need them. And so if the flexibility of them was, was really helpful for me in my small space garden, and then when it came time to potentially do a, another book, this just seemed to be the obvious next one to write about. Uh, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of different creative things you can do with them. So I figured there needed to be something out there. Yeah. And I haven't really seen, I've seen books on container gardening, but this is specifically about grow bags, which have their own set of pluses and minuses, which we'll get to in a mm-hmm. minute. But first mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about, you know, you mentioned that you can move them out and in, and I know they're especially popular for people who live where there's, you know, weather and snow and they have to move plots to the garage for the season or a sun porch or something like that. Do you have any favorite things that you like to grow in grow bags because they're mobile? Yeah, because they're mobile, I would say things like potatoes, I actually really like, I think they work pretty well. Uh, I would say if you're in one of those colder climates, like you were mentioning, you can get away with fruit trees and grow bags and then just move them indoors pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similar to a container, honestly, but I I particularly like citrus. If you're struggling to grow citrus, it's going to want a little drier soil anyways. And and that, as we'll talk about, one of the the benefits and downsides, I guess, of a grow bag is that drainage ability. And so it works really well for those. There's a couple other things like the mobility of them allows you to do like a pollinator bag, so to speak. And then you can just place that in different areas of the garden that might need a little extra 
pollinator attracting qualities. And so that's kind of a nice little thing. Oh, cool. Um, so you're just, you're growing, you know, like a multi seed mix of sure. wildflowers or something. Yeah. You could do something like that. I mean, I've done, um, I have out in the front yard right now, nasturtium in a grow bag, uh, which I, I could use as a trap crop of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. like grabbing some aphids that, that may have gone onto my aphid sensitive plants or maybe my roses or something like that. And, and hopefully I can draw a little bit of them to there. So a lot of different purposes you can use them for. And then when that, that need is gone, just move it to somewhere else or, or, or plant something else in it. Right. It also makes sense. I love growing potatoes in them because you just, instead of digging, you just tip mm-hmm. the thing over and mm-hmm. then you're mm-hmm. harvesting. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also really good for people who have, who live in areas where blight is prominent in tomatoes. Cause you mm. can just switch the soil out if you need to for new crop. That's yeah. That's cool. a good point. Yeah. If you have a soil borne disease that prevents you, maybe you have one raised bed, right. And you're in a small garden and you had a soil borne disease that you're like, okay, well, goodbye tomatoes for, for a couple of years or something, then yeah, just grow them in grow bags for a while and, and, and try something else there. Yeah. All right. Nerd alert. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about air pruning. Cause you, you talk about that in the book. What is it and why is it a good thing? Yeah, I would say that's, that has to be the number one benefit of a grow bag. Uh, and there are other pots there's, I think they're called air pots. There's, there's a bunch of different things that try to take advantage of this. But the mm-hmm. idea is when you're growing in, let's just say a standard plastic container, the the plant's roots are going to hit the wall, right? And there's, there's they can't go past the wall, but the wall has no, there's no porosity there. And there's still water. There's like a little thin film of water. There's some nutrients there. Uh, and, and that doesn't give them a signal to stop growing. So they still have most of what they need. And so they'll start wrapping around the pot, right? It was root bound. Uh, right. So it's very common and, and it's a un, very unnatural root structure for the plant because uh, it would never do that in, in, in the ground, right? And so when you have a grow bag, what actually ends up happening is when they hit that side, because it's so porous, there's a lot of oxygen there, a lot of airflow, and that's going to dry out the root tip and kill it, which sounds bad, but the alternative is that it wraps. And so what ends up happening is it kills that tip, and then it sort of creates a more fibrous, natural root structure. Of course, it's not as natural as being in the ground, but it's, it's as good as you're probably going to get in a container. Um, and so number one, that's just going to be a healthier root structure in general. But then number two, for example, if, if you're like conditioning plants and, and then going to put them in the ground later, I would say it'd be better to have them in something that, that does that than, than wraps them around. And you have to like kind of cut through the roots to transplant. Right. Cause it's going to develop this, this finer, more divergent pathway of, of root system than, mm-hmm. than you would in a regular pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So conversely keeping grow bags from drying out, that can be an issue, especially where we live in drought tolerant or drought stricken oh, yeah. areas. Right. So how yeah. do you combat that? Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I had a big problem with this at the start because I treated them. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't think it would be so severe. So I just treated them like a normal container that you watered a little bit more. That Mm -hmm. doesn't really solve the problem though, because you've got porosity on the whole side of the container, right? Like, I mean, terracotta is porous, but not as porous as a grow bag. Um, and usually they still only have one drainage hole at the bottom, whereas of course the whole bottom of the grow bag is, is going to drain out. And so the things that I will do, there's like a few different ways to approach it. First of all, I think people just should mulch their containers, which is somewhat less common, I think, than mulching a raised bed. Uh, For some reason, that knowledge doesn't transfer. I don't know why. Um, (laughs) So definitely mulch the top of your containers. Sometimes I will actually adjust the soil mix to have a little more of like a coconut core type of product. Not too much, just a little more. And if I was going to do maybe a third, a third, a third of core, a 
a loosening thing like a pumice and then like compost, maybe I would up the core to, you know, 40% instead of 33%, something like that. Uh, so that's something you can do. Um, I, I actually, when I know if a grow bag is going to be in a certain place for a long period of time, I'll just put it on an irrigation system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that can be a good way to do it. Uh, and then another thing that, that I've done is you can just use big saucers and, and just make sure that you, you leave some standing water because it's actually not bad in a grow bag to have that. Because if you've got, like you said, wind, uh, wind will dry it out a lot quicker than an average pot temperatures will, will dry it out a lot quicker. And so a, a little buffer is kind of nice. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Do you ever use any saucers for your mm-hmm. grow bags? So, mm-hmm. and this probably leads into my next question, which is grow bags get this kind of mold or calcification on the outside. And I imagine they do even more so if you put them in a saucer, but mm-hmm. you have a trick in the book for dealing with this. Can you share that with us? I love terracottas cause you'll get that sort of salty buildup and some people actually even like that. I think it kind of looks sort, sort of nice. It looks a little weathered. So grow bags, they have this sort of scummy buildup, like a, a white sort of look or green if you've got some algae there and yeah, it just doesn't look as nice as terracotta. So what you can do is it's really simple. I mean, when you're prepping your grow bags, or even if you're still growing something, just baking soda and a toothbrush or a scrub brush will take it right off. And it'll bring it honestly pretty much back to new, as long as you don't let too long a period of time pass before it's, because it, it could sort of degrade the material. So as long as you do it every so often, you'll, you'll keep them really fresh for a long, long time. So would you recommend doing that say between plantings or does it need to be more often yeah. than that? Yeah. I mean, between plantings is a good time, even if it's a little earlier or late, because you, at least you'll remember, right? If you, if you set a timer to do it, like at some random interval, I think it's harder to remember. So just whenever you replant, just do a whole refresh. Yeah. And I want to go back up for a minute to, you have a really nice collection of different soil mixes illustrated in the book. Uh, talk about those a little bit and how you came up with them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of, of research and, and just sort of Trial and error. Yeah. Trial and error and asking friends, you know, and, and just, I guess a little bit of just amateur, cause I'm not a, certainly not a soil scientist, but just like amateur soil scientist and reasoning where, you know, if I've, if I've got a, a uh, heavy feeder plant, well, obviously what does it need? It needs probably a little bit more organic matter in that mixture. Uh, If you're looking for a citrus style plant, then it's not going to want, as we say, wet feet. And so you'll lighten that mixture just a little bit. So yeah, just trying to, trying to provide some options for someone who is trying to grow pretty much anything. I mean, you can, you could grow a tree in, in a grow bag, uh, in theory. So it, you should be able to have a mixture that suits that. All right. It is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? Yeah, let's do, let's do a few because I've got one to go back to that watering question that you asked that solves this problem for, let's say you, you'd like to go on a vacation, like some of us might like to do in a time where there's not a crazy global situation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so in times where vacations existed for me, what I would do is you could, you could honestly grab like a kiddie pool if you have something like that, but you just need a somewhat large basin and, um, you can just put all your grow bags in it, group them together. And number one, that's going to help them not dry out right away. Because if you think about what you're doing, when you group them all together, you're actually sort of creating a hybrid large bag where you're not getting as much evaporation on the sides of all the bags combined. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a very nerdy thing. But what you can also do is fill it up with some water. So maybe a couple inches of water and then just leave for the weekend. And it's going to wick upwards over time. It's, it's a good solution for maybe two to three days. I would say if you're really trying to go low maintenance, I would, I would go with a drip irrigation or <laughs> have a friend come by or something. Right. So that'd be a watering tip. I would say another thing that people should consider is anything you could do in a raised bed to extend your, your growing capabilities, whether that be like a trellis or a cover, you can modify in a, in a grow bag or really any container. But I mean, simple bamboo trellises, there's a couple designs in the book for different styles uh, that'll work really well. So you can do, you know, tomatoes, peas, and you can actually build pretty robust trellises out of relatively cheap ingredients instead of buying a fancy one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that would be a great way to do it. You could even create uh, a network. So I've done, I've done like grow bags that the trellis spans over multiple bags. Oh, nice. Um, and so you can, you know, grow maybe a couple of different tomatoes and have them all sort of wind together if you want to. Uh, so stuff like that can work really well. Honestly, just placing a bag up next to an existing structure. We've got some readers. So all, a lot of Epic Gardening readers are in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, their gardens are in the book and some of them are growing hops up a, you know, sort of a, I don't know what you call that, but it's like one of those uh, crisscross fences. Oh, a lattice. Uh, lattice yeah. fence. Yeah, there right. you go. Um, and, and they'll do strawberries, raspberries, things like that. Uh, it works really well. Well, I have a follow-up question. Okay, for, yeah, go for that. For the trellises, you said, you know, they're pretty sturdy in a grow bag. Do you need to secure those outside the grow bag or do they work if you're putting them inside the grow bag? Yeah, it's going to be a function of the size of the bag, really, yeah. because if you've got a, a sort of a squat bag, like a 10 or 15 gallon squat bag, then you're in a good spot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll, it'll secure, it'll be somewhat deep. Uh, but if you're, yeah, like honestly, just a, another tip here, I think in the book, I recommend this, but I have a chart of the gallon sizing of the bag and how much soil that ends up being. And I really don't recommend they sell these one, two, three, four gallon grow bags. I would say start with five minimum and honestly, probably start with seven. Uh, I don't really grow anything in uh, under seven gallons now because number one, you just have a lot more buffer for problems. So watering is going to be less of a problem, you know, heat, this sort of thing. Right. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I wouldn't go longer or smaller than that. And that helps you for your support because, you know, one gallon grow bag, like good luck really trellising that you're not going to do anything. It's going to fly off like a kite. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> In the exactly. wind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, and, and the bigger the pot, the less quickly it dries out, the yep. bigger the mass, the less quickly it dries out. So that's good, yeah. good all around. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, process. um, there's a huge bag. You can, you can buy these big bags. I think even smart pots has one called the big bag bed, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, if like, let's say you're a renter and you want some of the benefits of that air pruning, like we talked about, but you don't really want to like overly water it or overly care for it. The huge bags basically just act as raised beds. If you think about it, because they're so big, like I'm talking a hundred gallons, 200 gallon grow bags Mm -hmm. that when you move, you just remove the soil, fold it up and and unload it at your new place. That's no big deal. Um, but in the interim, there's just so much soil that they really don't dry out anywhere near as much as a standard bag, a little bit more than a raised bed, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing those great tips, Kevin, and for being on the garden nerd tip of the week podcast. Yeah, no, it's been great. Sure. Well, now, how do people find you, though? I know that's kind of a stupid question. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, just search Epic Gardening on whatever your social media platform of choice is, because uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we're everywhere. <laughs> unfortunately for my mental sanity, fortunately for, for you, the watcher, reader, listener. Um, and then I guess the other two things would be uh, the book, right? So Grow Back Gardening will be coming out uh, March 9th, I believe. 
And then the first book, which is called Field Guide to Urban Gardening, is already out. And so you can grab that on Amazon or wherever you get books. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find links to Kevin's website and book on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also give you a link to his first book, Field Guide to Urban Gardening. We'll also post links to Epic Gardening's YouTube channel and all the social media feeds for the uninitiated, if you haven't already found them. <laughs> That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on GardenNerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening. <laughs>